What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, David Seberg, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it was the wrong consensus. Bitcoin week in New York falling short of expectations of many of the biggest crypto bulls. And one of them was none other than Fundstrat's Tom Lee, who said the conference would lift crypto. So what went wrong? What does he think will still happen next? Tom will be here to uh, tell us what. Plus, it is rare that an earnings report causes a battle with the White House, but Campbell's soup is getting crushed, and you won't believe who they are blaming. We are we will explain. But first, time to place your bets because the horse race is on. The Russell 2000 and the Nasdaq both soaring this year, leaving the other major indices in the dust, which remain mostly flat. And it's neck and neck with a small cap index, up 6%. The Nasdaq up 7%, driven mostly by technology. So for the second half of the year, in the race for profits, where is the best place to put your small your money, small caps or tech? It's a sort of would you rather. It is a formal a would you rather at the top of the show. It is a Friday show. We like to be a little. So be quick. So be quick, guy. In other words, Friday, we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> so let me explain real quick. There are reasons not to be in the small caps. Valuation is one of those reasons. Uh, Russell trades pretty expensive when compared to the S&P 500. Number one, variable rate. Um, in terms of what they have exposure to, interest rates going higher is not going to be good for small caps. Interest rates are going higher. That's number two. But guess what? You saw a lot of outflows in small caps over the last couple months. People are now playing catch-up in the second half of the year. So I happen to think, despite those negatives that I mentioned, the Russell can outperform. Yeah, what about no the? Doubt. I'm sorry. What, what about the dollar? So just to compensate mm-hmm. for that. So everything that guy had said about the Russell, what would be a headwind uh-huh. if he's looking at rates going up? I could say, well, the dollar going up is a headwind for multinational technology. Sure. So I think you get a push and pull. <clears throat> and we've all been on this desk and we've argued about when the Russell was going to take over the S&P, and that never happened way back when. It mm-hmm. feels like it was years ago. But there, there, people waited for this outperformance, and I think it's going to last a little but, bit longer. But what's interesting? You, you still, I mean, big cap tech, XLK is up, what, 6 7%, right? It didn't necessarily underperform. I mean, Russell may have done better, but in the light of a, in the way, with the headwind of a strong dollar, the, the big cap tech didn't do terrible. So now we've had this big move in the strong dollar. It, maybe it pulls back here. I actually think maybe tech is the better place to be, betting that you're going to get a weaker dollar, but you still have that outperformance. I, I think I think guys onto something as far as the catch-up trade, of course, but I think the global momentum in general from an economic perspective has been shifting a little bit, favoring the U.S. So I look at it and say small caps, in my opinion, for the short term, could absolutely outperform technology, and especially a lot of the larger cap names. You talk about the dollar, in my opinion, I don't think the dollar is going to necessarily get crazy, get away from us in, in the trajectory it's been on in the short term. We've seen a big short-term move in the dollar. I don't think that's sustainable. Um, but I do favor, for the near term, I do favor. How about we, we didn't even caps. mention tax reform? So when you, talk about blended, when you talk about blended rates for multinationals, some of these guys were already paying lower rates. Granted, everyone's going to pay a lower rate. Right. But when you go with a more domestically facing 
corporation uh-huh. from a 35% tax rate down to a 21% That's tax true. rate. That's, That's a huge true. tailwind. But in terms of technology specifically, we're seeing the tax rates go down tremendously when it right. comes to specifically for the big cap technology companies and also the cash that they're able to bring back. I right. mean, that's buybacks. Right. And that right. is helping tremendously. It, it, so, it, well, it, it has helped, right? I would, I would view that as well, already priced in. Well, the buybacks have net well, priced in. Okay. Right, right. But it's priced in, it, essentially. So, I mean, I don't think it's, it's not a bad thing, right? It probably puts a floor under it. Uh, but I think still, the, the one knock on tax even though I thought, you know, let's do let's do tech over Russell. The other knock is if the rest of the world is weak, as Dave was saying, then the U.S. is is going to be right. stronger. That being said, this big rise in commodity and oil is certainly going to be good for the commodity producing emerging the markets. The biggest thing I think for tech, if I had to flip it and say, OK, you know what? I think tech is going to outperform now would be when the China deal, when the China trade deal gets done, mm-hmm. because every time you watch a negative article, a negative headline come out, you see all large cap tech from China get smacked around. That takes our fang down with it. They trade all as one group. If you see that trade deal get done, maybe this weekend, maybe next weekend, maybe the middle of next week, I think tech rips higher. Right. Is there a misconception about small caps? I ask this, uh, you know, given the modern day and age uh, with with a lot of trade happening, that small cap companies are actually doing more global business than we might think or what previously had been. And so that notion that small caps are completely insulated uh, from Not your goal, well, I small caps. Right. Exactly. No, that's what you're have saying. Things change. It's probably how true. We listen, do business. a lot of small caps find their way in the energy space too. A lot of energy sure. and energy's yeah. done well. So I sure. think, listen, there are a number of great arguments you can make that Russell will outperform. My biggest argument is the people are behind the eight ball. You're starting to see it catch up, and I think it'll manifest itself in the second half of the year. And the beta in the small caps, to me at least, is better than that of the Nasdaq. Yeah, definitely a catch-up trade. I mean, there's no question there's been an underweight there from that perspective. But let's also remember the financials, the smaller cap financials, a lot of these regionals make up a large component right. of the Russell 2, which I believe, I'm, I'm a big buyer of that, that part of this, or that sector. So uh, I think that could help the outperformance. Here's a well. twist. Let's do it. Small caps, they oh. could be takeover targets. When we're mm. talking about biotech mm. takeovers, when we're talking about mm-hmm. regional banks consolidating, we're talking about companies in the Russell 2000, aren't we? Uh, yeah, somewhat. But I mean, also remember, you, you, if they're, they want to do big deals, too, because they have such a big market cap. So I don't think it's exclusive to the Russell. Again, it's probably one incremental thing. You know, to Dave's point on, on the financials, if you want to isolate that, and I kind of like that play, t- check out KRE, which is a yeah. small cap or regional bank ETF, right? So that'll get your, your basically your small cap banks throughout the country, U.S.-based. It's up 10%. KRE yeah. is up yeah. 10% right. compared to the XLF, which is up 1%. Right. Uh, in terms of the charts, this was the Russell 2000's third straight record. So where do we stand in terms of levels? I think IWM, if you're looking for that 147, if you go back to the basically the end of 2015, all of 2016, that's the level that sort of banged up against and failed a couple times. When we finally did ratchet through there, the IWM exploded to the current levels we're seeing now. So I think against that 147-ish level, if that makes sense, so it's about 8% downside. Quite frankly, I think that's what you're hoping for. Retest that level, see if it holds, and then it's off to the races. Yeah. yeah. In terms of technology, are, are fund managers simply overweight technology at this point? 
I don't overexposed to technology? No, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I remember the one thing about technology is because it's so big and because it's so liquid, people would use that as a cash register. We saw it on the downturn. Right? Every single down day. Exactly. Right? You see that all the time. At the, so the flip side of that is when the market starts going back up, they have to reestablish those positions. So I you know, I think that that is again a tailwind. I think I think uh, another thing I think BK was leaning towards too is that tech is so big and broad that you can yes, I do believe that they're overexposed to technology. But there's so many subsectors, whether you go semiconductors or hardware companies or service companies, that there's plenty of room to play in there, especially in the cloud space. There's a little bit for everybody in there. So even though there are overexposed technology, I think there's still room for them to put money to work. What do we do today, Seberg? Uh, I, I continue to buy, actually. I mean, I found some levels in different names. I, I, I think of NVIDIA, for example. I know the stock's had a crazy move. I know people can argue about the valuation here. Is that I anything still, like NVIDIA? I know. I always yeah. say it. I, yeah. Is it NVIDIA or NVIDIA? Is it like tomato, tomato? Yeah. I, think, I don't think so. We'll continue to work for the next three to four quarters. I think we have another, you know, year in, in the story here to continue to own the stock. And then I think you have to be a little bit careful for, for specific reasons we can get into on another show. But I still like <laughs> the video and I like CRM here. What other show are we going to do? I'm like, this is, is it, Seabird. I'm out here at six. I think the, I think the cybersecurity names that were interesting this week, not necessarily today, but I think, for example, the news out of Symantec's good. I think FireEye's going higher from here. And we've talked about energy for a while. Tim's not here tonight, but the refiners continue to go higher. Yeah, yeah sharp little company called Cowan upgraded AMD today. Oh, and actually, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I thought it was, a, it was a really great call on this. They're going to be making these seven nanometer chips, which actually are quite popular in cryptocurrency mining, and it is going to actually reduce the cost there. And they're going to come out, according to Cowan, a little earlier than I thought. So I like that upgrade. So I, I bought a lot of contrarian stuff this week. I bought Tesla, still long. I bought that on the dips. Snap. And I got long snap thinking about it. What do you think the floor is on Tesla? <sighs> oh, that was a, a, a wow. Yeah, that I, was, I didn't uh, think that, that you had a, to think about it that. Wow. I mean, wow. you're, you're like the levels guy. You look, I thought that you had this all yeah, because the floor is twenty dollars lower from here. <laughs> yeah. So if I look at if I look at the old low, you look at two fifty five. I think right here two seventy five was the low from last week, mm -hmm. and we we flirted with it, broke it today. Hopefully it holds. Next I thought week. you were going to say the floor is twenty dollars. I still not just twenty. Well, it depends on who you ask. Don't yeah. ask Morgan Stanley. Right. All right. Coming up, it is a potato problem. Potato problem. Higher potato costs sending Jack in the box sharply lower today. And the chart master says there's one other name that could be headed for the same potato pain. Plus, Tom Lee says the consensus conference would lift Bitcoin, but the opposite happened. So what went wrong and what's coming up next? Tom Lee will be here to explain. And later, there's a slew of retail earnings next week, and the traders think it could be a wild ride for one name in particular. We've got all the details. We are live from New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Consensus 2018, the world's largest Bitcoin and blockchain conference, came right here to New York City this week and was supposed to send cryptocurrencies to the moon, but instead they got wrecked. So what was it uh, about consensus? What, why did everybody get that call wrong? Check out the performance of cryptocurrencies this week. Bitcoin Cash down 18 percent, Ripple down 8 percent, Ethereum down 6, while Litecoin and Bitcoin both fell 5 percent. We're joined now by Fundstrat's Tom Lee, who was the first strategist to put out the call that consensus would lift Bitcoin and the other cryptos. Tom, what did you miss on this call? Well, I think clearly we were too optimistic. Um, you know, we were expecting consensus because there was a huge increase in size of the audience that uh, given the uncertainty around Bitcoin for most of this year, you know, with the wallet and um, regulatory overhang, that gathering a group of 
experts was going to reinvigorate confidence. But instead, I think we saw that there was a large audience. It was probably a little tougher for folks to sort of you know, discern the underlying message. And that because we didn't get regulatory clarity, okay. I think there was some So I saw on Twitter you were responding to somebody who was asking you about your call on consensus. And basically, you mentioned the right. I mean, did you think that we were going to get regulatory clarity? Because you said that was one area that fell short. Also, the number of custodial announcements fell short. There's some other things. I mean, did you think that consensus would be that much of a breakthrough event for this industry? Um, well, to be clear, what we thought would be a risk was if there was something that could push the regulatory picture incrementally negative. Um, and you know, the absence of that would have been positive. And I think in general, I kind of would say on, on balance, I think there was a slight negative tilt to the regulatory outlook. Hmm. That because it was going to take longer than most expected to really get some certainty. So, Tom, you wrote in, in a note this morning about the institutional uptake. So the big thing that we've been talking about is when's custody going to be coming? We got a couple of those announcements today. Now the, now the task is getting the people at the institutions to buy in. There's usually, my experience, one yeah. little group. When do you think that happens? Uh, it's going to take time. Um, there was some really good news on the custodial progress. I mean, Nomura as a bank actually becoming a custodian. But on the flip side of that is the institutions not only have to have a team that's enthusiastic about adopting cryptocurrencies, they have to essentially evangelize internally. And I think that um, we've got sort of that first step. I think there are more inst institutions interested, but again, it's going to take some time to sort of get the whole firm to buy in. What on the regulatory front uh, disappointed you? Again, I, I Why think... Why was it more negative? I, I think we need to be nuanced here. I, it's, if we look at regulatory, we don't want to simply look at uh, what we expect them to announce. I don't think that's was going to be expected, but it was really understanding how people were shaping their views around regulatory or how they would interpret incremental data or the lack of incremental data. And, you know, is there an example they can give us? Just, I mean, it sounds a little squishy. I mean, are you talking about things like whether or not Ethereum is a security or Well, I'll give you some examples of the kind of sidebar conversations that were taking place. One is that, um, you know, CME, it's great that they're going to have uh, another contract for another cryptocurrency for Ethereum. And the fact that when they finally turn it on live is clearly, a, in some ways, a signal that Ethereum is likely to be viewed as a, as a utility token. So in other words, there's going to be signal in the sense that if CME is actually, when they, when they go live with this contract, it's actually something else. But um, on the flip side, I think there's a lot of side conversations about how people feel about their last conversation with regulators. And I think on balance, it just didn't feel like things were moving forward. Tom, question. I mean, from the standpoint of the amount of money that's come in over the past year versus last year's conference or since last year's conference, is the bar just that much higher now? I mean, Ethereum was trading around 100, 120 bucks last year. The expectations for what was going to come out. I mean, has the bar just been set higher and higher and higher to um, the point where we really needed something earth shaking to really move the market to move these? these well, I mean, higher? first of all, I want to come out and say I think consensus was a huge success. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's a great conference to bring a lot of people together from around the world, and I think the quality of the people that were there. I mean, Brian, you were there. It's amazing. It's mm -hmm. like it's the people you that you know are important to this industry coming together, but also a lot of decision makers incremental. So I think it was a great success that way. But to get the right synergy 
uh, and or for this group to kind of gel and, and make deals, it, you know, it, it's growing pains. This, this conference tripled in size compared to a year yeah. ago. So I think it's unfair to kind of blame consensus for what's happened. I think maybe everyone, including myself, was a little optimistic. You, you sound a little bit more cautious. Um, when, I want to take a look at the Bitcoin Misery Index because this is mm. the one of your proprietary things. It's, it's now, what, at 30 versus yes, a low of 18. Yes, 30 is good so news, actually. Is, so people are less miserable. But people have to be um, happy or the opposite of miserable in order to get to your forecast of 25000 for Bitcoin. What's going, are you sticking by that forecast? Yes. What uh, takes us there then? Yeah, absolutely. So I still think that we, we have to keep in mind is that Bitcoin at 8000 and Bitcoin, let's say we think can, it can reach 25000 it doesn't require Bitcoin to go up every day till the end of the year. Sure. Remember, the 10 best days account for all the return of Bitcoin. If you didn't own Bitcoin for 10 days each year, you lost 25% a year for the last, since 2010. So clearly Bitcoin is something where only a handful of days account for the gains. So uh, I think it's really good news that the Bitcoin Misery Index, which dropped to 18, which is awful, a month ago is now back to 30. It's acting more consistently, but it is among the, the 16 currencies we watch, the worst cryptocurrency on the Misery Index level. So it EOS is. is the highest uh -huh. and Bitcoin is the lowest. All right, Tom, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. You gotta give him props for coming yeah. by and owning up to the it's call, amazing, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, what you thought of the conference, did, we, did so, you come away with the same sort of impressions? Yeah, listen, uh, yeah, I had three takeaways from it. For me, the number one takeaway, which I think will probably surprise everybody, crypto's thriving in China. Even though it's so-called banned, there is a lot of development going on there. You know, number two, the custody solution. We have plenty of those right now. And then number three, coming out of it, uh, the last one, oh, so the adoption, right? It, what, what, there's this big divide. Adoption's happening in Asia where development's happening here in the U.S. So we in the U.S. might try to figure out how we're using this in Asia, in Korea, in Japan, in the Philippines, Southeast Asia. It is booming. So those were the three takeaways for me. I actually came out incrementally more positive, and going into it, I was the most excited I've been in a long time about this space. All right, coming up, Jack of No Trades. The fast food company under pressure after running into a major problem with the price of potatoes. And the chart master says there's one other name that could be about to suffer the same fate. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. No soup for you. And no joy for Campbell's Soup shareholders after the company posted a huge quarterly loss. And you won't believe who they are blaming. Plus, chips are looking a little wobbly. And one trader says it's setting up for a big move. We'll tell you how to cash in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a major buzzkill. Campbell's suit getting hammered today, sinking more than 12%, touching a five-year low after reporting earnings. The company mentioning on the conference call that the steel and aluminum tariffs contributed to its poor first quarter performance. Now, if you recall back in March, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross came on this network and held up a can of Campbell's soup to demonstrate that the tariffs would have very little impact on soup cans. Well, today, Ross fired back at Campbell's comments, telling CNBC, quote, it is physically impossible that a few days of tariff resulted in a $393 million loss. They are using the tariffs as a cover-up for other problems. So with the new tariffs and the consumers changing palettes, are companies like Campbell's a no-touch, Grasso? Yeah, I would say they're a no-touch. And, and just to... Look, if you look at a chart, you go back to 2016, the stock's been cut in half from then. So you can't blame this on tariffs. I think they, are, they do have 
a, 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 a ideological difference about what people think as what they want to eat, what they think is healthy, what they think is organic and Campbell's. And it's hard to go away from that when we all grew up or most of us grew up. Condensed soup. Right. I mean, it's just it's just not where people want to be. Even my generation, the younger generation, the older generation, people are going for different things off the shelf. And Campbell's is not one of them. That's the problem. And then everybody's got a house brand. Everybody right. from yeah. Kroger right. to Amazon, everybody's right. got a generic brand. Right. I like a good canned soup. Let I me mean, tell you something. Like the next guy. The you like Spam, soup? though, too. Spam, yeah. what's well, a big thing out of Hawaii now? You've got you to gotta help the Hawaiian economy Fair. now with Kilauea. So you buy more Spam. You know, to Steve's point, this was a $65 stock. This time in 2016, well, there were no tariff. I couldn't smell tariff yeah. in 2016. And now you can? No, but that's not the point. So I'm with Wilbur Ross on this one, and and the can's in his hand. I agree. It's ridiculous to think that this caused that kind of hit for them. They're getting squeezed by Walmart. They're getting squeezed by everybody from a distribution perspective. Their margins are getting squeezed because Walmart's margins are getting squeezed. So in the end of the day, they can't survive in this this sort of atmosphere. In my opinion, I'd stay far away from it. Is there a staple that you would buy? Besides Uh, Campbell pork and beans? I mean, I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, you can buy staples in general. Actually, I think the Campbells—they should have blamed the Russian sanctions. That's going to have a bigger <laughs> impact on it. No, I'm serious. I mean, yeah. look at what it did to aluminum prices. Aluminum prices have absolutely skyrocketed on the Russian sanctions. Right. So that's going to have a bigger impact. Wilbur Ross is right, but that doesn't but mean that government action has. Sta- but how can you buy staples? Period. In a rising rate environment. I mean, that's the reason well, that's, why. That's the major headwind on the macro. Right. So you mm-hmm. might like the, some of the companies. And, and, I don't disagree. And, and if you think the dollar is strong. Right. Who's right. going to face the headwinds? Multinational companies. Right. Kimberly Clark, Procter & Gamble, right. and all already, these guys are, had, are facing the same had the run in, We've already had a run in the dollar, right? So at some point, you have to play for a pullback in that. But don't overlook the debt Campbell's has. That's important to look at. They have a tremendous amount of debt. Let's shift gears. I like shifting. The happier affairs, other than than Campbell's soup. Uh, Wedding bells are in the air. One of the most highly anticipated events of the year takes place tomorrow morning. Prince Harry is set to marry American actress Meghan Markle in a worldwide broadcast with no shortage of royal and celebrity attendees. So, in honor of the event, our traders have picked four socks that they say are fit for a queen. Grosso, kick it off, please. I'm hoping for royal riches with GE. We bought this. This was one of the power pitches. Bought it below $14, trading right around $15. This is a major line in the sand, $15. I think there's major upside from here, GE. BK. Uh, well, for me, you want to look at what they do. The Royals, their financial powerhouses, $16 billion in their entire portfolio. So I want to look to the major financial powerhouses, XLF. That's what you go with. 32. People have to have a way to pay for the gifts, right? So I'm PayPal. I love this Izell deal. That was announced today. I love the Izell deal. I think that's great. I think they're going to compete against Square in the U.S., so I'd be a buyer. The old lady's getting on the boat right after this wedding. You know what she's getting on, Melms? Royal Caribbean. Woo! Yes, she is. That does it for us here on Fast. See you back here Monday. Meantime, to go anywhere. Options action starts right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. 
We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.